make you intelligent but we're gonna try anyway uh welcome to the clashing sabers podcast i'm one of your hosts drew and with me tonight is uh, my dear friend it's devore hey there he is uh brandon is um out of commission for the night so it's you're you're kind of stuck with us too tonight so hopefully yeah. we'll have a good time um the plan is to tackle visions season two which is kind of something i've been looking forward to just a little bit in the past couple months, so I'm excited to get through. We'll do our best in butts of that. But before we get to it, Devor, uh, what you been Star Warsing lately? Star Warsing quite a bit lately. So I was actually doing some Star Warsing just right before I got on this recording, and that is, of course, the Jedi Survivor. I have been okay making my way through the next chapter in one Cal Kestis's story, and enjoying it quite a bit. It's a it's a wonderful game. It, as, as many people have said, it sort of elevates from the first in so many ways story-wise aesthetically yeah i've been having a great time with i don't i I don't have quite a sense because when i played fallen order i'd already sometime prior had watched one of those cutscene compilations so i kind of knew the story beats Uh, and i of course didn't do it for survivor i'm going in more or less clean aside from a few things that I've seen inadvertently on Twitter. So I don't have a sense of how far along in the story I am or how much more I have to go, but I am enjoying it quite a bit. Okay. How do you think that the book Battle Scars, I think that's what it's called, right? The little novel tie-in? Yes. And you've read through that? Yes. Do you feel like that's required reading for this one, or is it more just kind of ancillary material at that point? It's it's more ancillary. I haven't at least gotten to a point in the story where I felt like, oh, there's a crucial detail in there. It's much more like the way that a lot of Star Wars books work, which is that you can still sort of follow the main story, but if you have read this particular thing, it kind of gives you added layers to what's going on. Okay. I'm kind of running into the, that kind of a wall with, well, not a wall yet, but I, mean, I just started reading The Path of uh, Deceit or Vengeance. Which one is the newer Vengeance. title? Vengeance. Path of Deceit was the first one, yes. right? In phase two. Why would they name the bookends so similarly? It's I don't know. You, you have two path, uh, paths of and two quests for, so I don't know what happened. <laughs> feel like they're they're kind of running out of room on the dartboard and they kind of need to start a new maybe a new whiteboard with the one that has dinosaurs on it is done so now i need some new title suggestions or something yeah have you read path of vengeance yet i have not yet i am waiting for the audiobook to drop because that's the best way that i consume these things so i needless to say i was majorly bummed the day that i learned it got delayed to june 6th yeah it's it's several weeks behind the physical release so good luck hanging on to it uh, and not getting anything spoiled. Although I'm not far into it yet. I'm only like four or five chapters, which in this book is a very, very small percentage. <laughs> the chapters are so very short, and the book is so very long, but it's the, it's not a middle grade. It's a young adult book, I think, is the technical term for it. Yes. So it's 
it's still like 530 something pages long but when the book is only eight inches tall and the font is like size 24 and it's double spaced it's not so bad it's pretty weird um i've been going back and enjoying the original trilogy oh nice plus which i've just had a i put a tv in my office and i've had it playing behind me so i'm not actually watching it but i'm just listening to it for Mm -hmm. the first time in a long time because I had found, <laughs> this is the stupidest thing on planet Earth. We, we found my wife's old stereo, um, like not a boom box, but like that kind of style of like radio and tape deck. And then subsequent to that, I found my copy of the original A New Hope uh, radio drama. Okay. On cassette. <laughs> so now I was like, I should listen to this again. It's like, oh, but should I? That's, I don't know. So then I went back and watched the movies and. They're just as good. It's amazing how good they really, really are. They really are. Um, it's I, been a long time. Yeah, a few weeks back, uh, we went to see Return of the Jedi when it was in the theatrical run. Oh and, man! Yeah, and that was great because I had not I, like I never saw the special editions when they were in theaters in the late nineties. So, oh, so this okay. is my first time seeing a, an OT film on the big screen. Wow. And yeah, it was quite the experience. Like it, it like it got me to thinking about this is the conversation that we had afterwards about different Star Wars films and the sort of the return on investment that you get from seeing it on a big screen. Because okay. like I very much felt that with Return of the Jedi, where like I watched it and I'm like, it, it's it's a movie that like if you know, if you make me do the rankings is not especially high, but like the experience of actually being in a movie theater and seeing it on a giant screen like there Mm -hmm. there was a huge just boost that you get from doing that and i think that kind of varies probably across star wars movies i think they're different ones where you get a bigger bang for your buck from seeing it on a big screen oh interesting yeah that would be hard to quantify without being able to go back and watch all 11 of them on the screen yeah because like i remember seeing all three of the special editions in the theaters when they first came through in that 97 run Mm -hmm. before they were released on VHS. Um, And I think I was, I remember seeing all those. I remember seeing all of the prequels. I mean, obviously we've seen everything, but in the theaters as it came out, well, since 97, I suppose. But I don't know, to go back now, I really, what I would really like to do is the, the like the live orchestra. Oh man. Yes. That's kind of the Holy grail. Yes. That I'd like to get to. Um, I know Brandon's done one or two of them before, but I don't remember. I think he did. He might have done Return of the Jedi and maybe A New Hope. Empire was kind of, I think, put off during the COVID seasons. Mm. That's kind of what I want to go back and be able to do. And, oh, me too. And have them play all those. Oh, that would be so amazing. If you could go to one of the nine saga movies, live orchestra, which one are you going to first, though? Oh, Revenge of the Sith. You only get to pick one. I'm going with Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I should have seen that one. I should have seen that one coming, I suppose. You saw, have you, and you saw the prequel trilogy in the, in the theater, yes. I suppose. Okay. Yeah, I don't know about those. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I, I wonder. That one would be Revenge of the Sith would be hard to watch with an orchestra. I feel like Phantom Menace would probably be my favorite one. That one would be a really good one. That's a very. I don't good know book. if they would do that because that's an awfully large choir that they have to have yes. through most of the third act of the film. Yeah. I I guess it's like 
in most of the film, actually, because there's parts where Darth Maul's on Tatooine and you can hear the choir kind of yeah, singing lowly and breath-like. Yeah, there's that. Mm. There's the Gungan village. Uh, yeah, there's quite a bit of choir. That's true. Yeah. I didn't realize we were going to play this game tonight, but clearly we're going <laughs> to. Does Attack of the Clones have any choir sections in it? I'm replaying the film in my head. Uh, I don't know that it does. They they reused a lot. They of do. Too, which is sad. Yes. Revenge of the Sith has choir parts to it. Yes. It does, they have the new, like, uh, it's not Duel of the Fates, it's Battle of the Heroes. Is that the name of the track? Yes. Okay, that one's got a choir accompaniment. I don't know. So you can watch Revenge of the Sith. I'll enjoy the Phantom Menace, and no one will go watch Attack of the Clones. Well, Adriana will go watch it, Attack of the Clones. That's her favorite movie of all time. Although, evidently, now that Fast 10 is out, she's a big fan of that one. Um, were you the one in the group who has said they've never seen I, Fast I have, and Furious? I have never seen a Fast and a Furious, no. Oh, man. Like, how did you get into this group then? I don't know. When we first started... When we first started Clashing Sabers, like before we had recorded our first conversation, Brandon and I just had kind of a, a get to know each other thing. And one of the questions I asked him was, if you weren't doing Star Wars things like this, what series or saga would you be most interested in doing deep dive analysis and conversation on? I was like, you know, honestly, I was like, oh God, what is he going to say now? And he said the Fast and Furious movies. I nearly hung up the call and walked away from this whole enterprise. Oh my God. It is hilarious. It is a ton of fun, but it's a very different beast, isn't it? Um, <laughs> we got we to get you to watch some of these movies in, po- in like the worst possible order, too. Like <laughs> We have to find what is the most unpleasant viewing order for these films, and we're going to make you sit down and do it. Oh, God. There's a Patreon goal for us all now, isn't yes. there? Yes. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, um... I guess we're, it's a good t- chance to take a break and refill the water bottle. And when we get back, we're going to do a Visions 2 summary in our tried and true format of the best and the butts. Myself. She has special powers. Can you get your porta potty off the starting line? She's a total. Exactly. Don't be afraid. May the force be with you. It's showtime. The storm is approaching. I can fight them. I'm strong enough now. No one is stronger than them. We can beat them. No! You there, hold it. (gasps) 
cannot choose where our calling takes us. Only whether or not to answer. All right, welcome back, and we are going to kick it into high gear now um, as we start to talk about Vision Season 2. It's been quiet. We haven't talked about it. Um, I don't think really any of us have done a lot of sharing about how we felt about this, knowing we were going to kind of tackle this on, on the air here. And again, the plan was to have Brandon on here so we could have as diverse opinions as possible. So we want to make sure we covered everything. We kind of kicked around two different formats for this. The first one was to do an episode-by-episode episode analysis. And we thought it might take a long time, and, and several of the episodes have so many things in common um, that we kind of put that idea aside and return to the tried and true method of the best and the butts. So if you're just joining or if you haven't listened to a best and, bu- best and butts episode yet, uh, it's simply the top three things, your favorite one, two, and three, one being the best thing out of the entire thing you're talking about. And the butts works similarly, one, two, and three, but one is the most egregious, the most offensive the thing you would change the most out of. So usually we'll start at three and we'll work our way up. So having said that, DeVore, if we start with the butts and we start with your number three, did you have any other parameters or rules or how did you come up with your list before we dive into them proper? So this this one was hard because I feel like for, for Visions season two compared to the first season, even though they're both really good and I enjoy them, I think the quality on season two is more consistent. And mm. so as a consequence, the gap between, you know, my number one best episode and let's say my number one butt episode, I think is smaller than it would be if we were to do this for season one. And so when it came down to particularly, you know, coming up with the kind of bottom three, uh, or I guess what is the bottom third, because they're nine episodes. So the bottom third of episodes it really just came down to there's nothing in any of these three really where i would say much like oh i think this was a misstep or i think like this particular story decision wasn't well it's more just a question of like the thing about a lot of the visions episodes is you get this kind of buffet of different not just visual styles and not just Mm -hmm. stories but even kind of tone of stories and so it for me it sort of came down to like well, for the top, like, which ones hit me the most? Which ones have I been thinking about the most since I watched it? And then the bo- towards the bottom, it comes to like, well, which ones did I enjoy, thought they were good? But then it just was like, that was good, and then kind of moved on and didn't leave, like, a kind of larger impression, either kind of emotionally or even just like, oh, like, th- that had some deep things going on. I'm really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So okay. that was basically the criteria that I went into this. It was very, very much vibes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds sounds reasonable. So why don't you then start off with your number three? But so this is not the most egregious, but this is like third down on your list of eh, I could I could change a couple things. So my number three, but. I don't know, maybe slightly warm slash hot take. I don't know. I guess we'll find out because I think this is one that a lot of people would put probably near or even at their top is Journey to the Dark Head. Oh, oh no. Okay. I see how this is going to go already. Cool. And mainly because 
I don't know. Again, this is a lot of this is going to come down to vibes. A lot of this, it's going to be hard to be to take things and like, well, I didn't like this story point was not well executed or something like that. I think it was okay. mainly like uh, one of the things I did, and I did this little thread about it on Twitter was like I started as I was going through the season two episodes, I started pairing them up with season one episodes. Okay. Where I was thinking about like, oh, this is kind of similar in story beat or in tone or whatever. And like with Journey to the Dark Head, like the impression that I got just like from watching going through, I was like, it wants to be the ninth Jedi, but I don't know that it quite gets there. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, maybe that is just my own fault of like, I shouldn't be comparing this to something else and I should be treating it on its own terms. But I'm just like, it's trying to do the thing where it kind of gives a a kind of quote unquote bigger story, like a bigger universe. But then somehow when I compare it to like in season one, when they do the same thing, I'm like, Ninth Jedi, it's like, oh, wow, like that's really compelling. I want to know more of this story. And then I get to the end of Journey of the Dark Head and I'm like, I, I, I'm not, I don't feel that itch the same way that I did in Ninth Jedi to be like, I want the story to continue. I want to see the next mm. story. You don't feel like the, the two characters walking off into the distance to go have further adventures. You're not terribly interested in what happens to them next when they walk out the door? Not as much, no. Okay. I can definitely understand the parallels you're going to draw between that and the Ninth Jedi in that I think that both of those episodes play by the Star Wars rules the closest. Like, they, they, they definitely feel like they're part of... They could be told in a canon story and, mm-hmm. and fit in just perfectly, whereas the rest of them, some of them, you know, season one obviously played fast and loose with all kinds of rules. Uh, and in season two, I think that there's more homogeneity among the storytelling. Yes. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But I'm surprised you put that on the bottom list. Do you think that's, is that a prevailing feeling about that episode or i don't think like so i think the it, only one if anything i think i'm the outlaw i'm more in the minority there i think generally uh, when i was just seeing it on you know on twitter when visions first dropped and people were kind of giving their impressions i think a lot of people had journey to the dark head up higher which again like okay. it does sort of pay me because it's you know the studio is studio mirror which also did among other things the legend of Korra, which is a show i love so like <laughs> i do not delight in like knocking it down you know and saying like uh, it <laughs> It wasn't one of the ones that like really, really caught me. But yeah, it wasn't one that really caught me. Did, did you at least appreciate the the, the Sith Master Bichon his um his his crazy chain whip thing that he I did that, that several people. Okay, good. That's okay. a pretty cool helmet. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like as as long as there are, are general consensus on the cool things of that episode, that, that's pretty good. Okay. Um, my number three. I'm gonna cheat right off the bat. Okay. And I'm going to say, again, like you had said before, my, my, my list is not necessarily these are awful, these are terrible, terrible things, and we should, they should never have seen the light of day. I think on a scale, like a grading scale, all the episodes from season two here range from A plus to probably like B minus C plus. Nothing's bad. Mm-hmm. Everything is at least good, and we should at least watch everything one time. But I'm going to cheat for my number three, and I'm going to say in the stars – Bandits of Golak and Au Song are all tied for this position. Okay. And the reason for that is all three of them tell virtually the same story. Mm. And this is kind of a thing that creeps up in a lot of these episodes where there are so many similarly structured stories and they all kind of end in the same way that 
it's hard for me to reconcile the differences between them. Yeah. So the differences you can really reach for them is going to be artistic, I think, and then like small little moments in them. You know, so in the stars is pretty good. Um, you know, it has like the whole uh, ish, the the concept of the light, which illuminates the painting, which has like you know this is how humans tell stories throughout history, and it lights the way, and, and there's interesting things there. Um, the bandit story is kind of similar. You know, you have the the brother and sister who are trying to escape to a certain place. You don't really know why until you get to the end. Uh, and he's he's trying to get his sister to a safe place. Aou's song is you know, another child who has these powers but does not understand them, and is it, it wants to be a part of the the help and the fun and the adventure. But all three of them end in kind of the same way. Well, in the stars doesn't really end in this particular way, but all of them kind of end with that same way of like the young character has unconditional confidence in themselves, even when they shouldn't because they don't recognize the dangerous position that they're in. And through their misadventures, their older, the older person character who's connected to them, you know, in the stars has the older sister, Bandits has the older brother, Ao Song has the father. All three of these slightly older, slightly more jaded individuals have to rediscover the, the wonder and the beauty of the Force through the innocence of the child, the, the, the younger character. So it's just kind of like what I kind of had wished had happened was that the writers of these stories had at least compared notes to one another. Mm. And like we have one-third of these stories all use a very similar structure. Now, if you think about like season one, very few of those stories use the same kind of structure as other episodes. Not to say that there aren't similarities between them, but there ain't no episode like The Twins. There Correct. ain't no other episode like Tatooine Rhapsody. Yes. You know, for better or for worse. But... That kind of like even like Akakiri, which people seem to forget about being the last episode of season one, there's really nothing else that tells a similar kind of story within that same set of episodes. But season two of Vision seems to have have, have lost that that sense of of rule breaking and boundary pushing. And again, all three of these episodes are are good and they have things to offer. But the fact that they're so similar was kind of like, all right, a second pass at some of these scripts would have been uh, a little more helpful. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point, and I actually have one of my like wish things for future seasons of Visions, assuming that mm-hmm. they do them. It's sort of it's it's a different kind of point, but I think it approaches something what you're getting at from a different angle. Is that like if you look at the Visions episodes, I mean across both seasons, like you can kind of separate them into sort of two buckets or at least along one metric. It's like there's one bucket of stories where they're kind of sort of like outside of Star Wars time. Like think of something like Sith. Mm -hmm. Like Sith could be like anywhere on the, if you think about the conventional canon timeline. Like it could be thousands of years before the Skywalker saga for all we know. And then you have stories like, for example, Abandons of Golak or In the Stars that are much more chronologically coded to a particular time period because largely because they're using certain iconography or types of characters. And I think if you look at across both seasons of Visions, for those stories in that second bucket, the ones that are much more kind of like it's in a particular time period, it's almost, I think, if not almost, yeah, almost entirely, with the exception maybe of the twins, it is original trilogy Dark Times. Yeah. And yeah, so one it's all, of, it's all Rise of Empire kind yes. of. Yes. 
19, 20 years worth of, of timeline. Yeah. And so then as a result, you do get things like you get a lot of force sensitive person has to hide from the empire thing. And so mm-hmm. if we get, you know, future seasons of volume three or something like that, I would like them to break down. Let's say like, let's get some prequel coded stories. Let's get some sequel yeah. coded stories. Yeah. Cause I think like, again, with this idea of, you know, taking these different studios and them bringing their own, not just style, but also in terms of cultural influence, like there's some possibility like you might get like really fresh perspectives on like the separatists. If you get a prequel story, depending yeah. on what studio you get, you know what I mean? Like, something like that you're, like you're just digging for more b1 content yes don't, don't try and code it with anything else i am we see through your lies <laughs> i got it in the village bride that's true. that's it that's true. but hey, even that hey, was a dark listen, time story it. was it really village bride yeah because it's it, it's f and like you get the flashbacks to her and her master in order 66 so it's like oh okay yeah it's not actually clone wars <laughs> Okay. Understood. Understood. So yeah, that's yeah. that kind of. I think if they start expanding chronologically, I think they, that is also a way that they can address some of the points that you're making about some of the homogeny of story beats. Mm, yeah, that would that would be nice because the whole idea behind visions, the first season is kind of introducing a new fashion of telling stories, you know, through anime as a convention, right? As through a medium that's a little different than Western audiences may not have the kind of exposure to. Great. On board. Love it. Big fan. Season two, we're expanding it now to an international style of strictly animation, but really that's the only rule that they have to play by. And it's interesting that across the globe, in the past two to three years, which is kind of how you figure they've been working on this for at least three years, most of these things. Um, so many of them hit so many familiar beats. Like it's interesting in one way because it speaks to some of the universality of the stories that they're trying to tell within the Star Wars universe, which is great. You know, it does lead back to the whole Joseph Campbell myth of modern storytelling and all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. But there is, it is from time to time, nice to be reminded that across, the, literally around the globe. We all have these common themes that we want to look for in our stories and that we want to be able to tell ourselves on a rainy day in order to, you know, one of the lines from, I think it's Journey to the Dark Head that says something like, in whatever wave comes next, there's just as much hope as there is despair. So that is kind of a universal approach. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy that. But in in a series like this, which gives enough creative freedom to have things like the duel, yeah. Um, which plays by zero rules. You know, to have so many things be so similar, it really stood out to me. Now, I know most of you are probably yelling at me about another story that fits into this category. We'll talk about that one later. But um, what is your number two of the butts? All right. Number two of my butts. And again, this again sort of goes back to, you know, vibes and what resonated more and what resonated less is one that you just mentioned, which is Awoo's song. Okay. Which, again, it's a very touching story. I think is a very unique story because, you know, you mentioned the sort of similarity with other ones in terms of, like, Force-sensitive kids got these powers, has this discovery, but then also introduces some, like, unique ideas where, like, she has this, like, this way of communing with her voice, like, which is mm-hmm. which is a very kind of different and interesting. And so, like, it, it, it has that in terms of just, like, yeah, here is a, here's a, a, a story that gives us a kind of different manifestation i guess if you will of the force uh you know and but again it's just like 
its particular type of storytelling, maybe the particular audience that it was, you know, aiming for a slightly younger audience than some of the other ones was just one that was like, again, watching, I'm like, I enjoyed it. That was good. But like, that's it, you know? Yeah, I'm familiar with, yeah, there's a couple of these we're going to talk about. And that's kind of one of the things with all of those that's, that are so similar. It's like all of them have that same kind of ending. Like, okay, yeah, good, great. What's, uh, what's next? Yeah. I like that one. I think the animation on that one was one of my more preferred, the way they kind of use like almost like the yarn looking, yeah, you know, sack boy from PlayStation world kind of, of, uh, of approach to things. I thought that was visually very interesting to see. And I liked, I liked the Jedi Knight that they had in there too. I can't remember the character's name. I don't think they say it, but like one time. Oh yeah. Her character design is really, really cool. Really fascinating. And she, and she was a very interesting character and, you know, at least she, you know, some of the other Jedi that they have in this series were very cold and very, and, and very uncaring. At least this one, and that in Au's song, she feels like she has a personality. Like she felt very High Republic Jedi to me, mm, more than yeah. prequel era Jedi. So I kind of I understand that. But uh, wow, number two of your least favorite. Okay, um, I'm going to. I don't know. I don't know if this is a popular opinion or not. And cause I, I have tried to stay away from most people's reviews to kind of make sure that my reactions to it are simply based on my experience with them. But my number two is the pit. Okay. I, and this is, it may be a dumb reason, but David Diggs as a voice actor for the main character <laughs> kind of really caught me off guard. And I was like, wait a minute. I know that voice. Why do I know that voice? And I got all the way through watch the credits and I was like, oh my gosh, it's Jefferson. Okay. <laughs> this makes more sense to me now. This episode was weird. Like it it it's written and produced by a guy who already was working at Lucas. Yes. And he kind of came up with this idea. And I and I was reading the interview that was posted on StarWars.com and I was like, this doesn't really feel like it was outside opinions. Like they went to the studio to kind of like once they got the story and everything and and whatnot put together what they wanted to tell, but then they had the studio just basically come in and animate it, and the animation's pretty good, but the voice acting stood out to me, and this is one of the things that that like really rubbed me the wrong way about season one, and they've repeated it and made it wor- <laughs> made it worse in season two. Um, just have the original language for the studio. Don't. Yeah things in english just just i am a, a subtitle guy like in the i don't know how how much time you spent in the anime world if you've seen only like two episodes of dragon ball z and swore off anime for the rest of your life or something oh it was a big dbz but there's kid. always been this bet were you really that was like my first <laughs> fandom was dbz what yeah oh no <laughs> I I can't even imagine. Did you ever play the card game that came out with alongside of it or no. anything like that? Like, how deep does that well go for you? I need to know this story immediately. Oh, it was like like me and my childhood best friend. Like, we would watch them. He would have like he had some of the like the boxed VHS sets, and it was like I don't know if you were familiar with those, but oh, it was like man. it was like the they oh, yeah had, yeah they had like like it was like you lined them all up, and it was like an image from like yep. an episode or something. So each of the spines had something. So he had like that. We had the toy and everything yeah that's amazing Dude, there are there's hundreds of those like vhs though it's wild how long that those series ran and how how many different versions that they put them out 
It's crazy stuff. Anyway, so you understand the difference between like a subbed version versus a dubbed version. Yeah. You know, subtitle version keeps the original dialogue. Um, a dubbed version replaces the original language track with an with a localized track instead. And the pit is one of these like you have an Asian stu- uh, studio doing it. Use use that language. It's a tool. And but again, it comes from an English speaking team from Lucasfilm who you know have lived and worked in California their entire lives. So it's this weird balance of like I really just wish it had been Japanese like mm-hmm. through and through. And I know that there is a common practice of using what we'll call screen actors to do voice acting roles like this. I think Neil Patrick Harris was in the first season. Yeah, he's in, Tatooine. in the Twins. He's in one of those first couple early episodes. Okay, I like, thought it was Tatooine Rhapsody. It might be. I've only watched that one like the one time. Um, and I and I always had to switch it to Japanese and put subtitles on because that's the way it really should have been watched. Anyway, no, the the best one in season one is Allison Brie as Am in the Twins because she oh, just really? goes wild. You have you not watched the Eng- have you not Eng- the the dub version of of the Twins? I I really don't enjoy the dub version. <laughs> you gotta watch it. She them. goes like. She goes ham on it. It's fantastic. Okay, I might try that because that's something that character called that character. Oh my gosh, it's my favorite. Can we just talk about the twins? Is <laughs> there will never be another Star Wars project like the twins ever again? And we are a worse people off for that. You know, there's something there that's brilliant that only like four of us on planet Earth really appreciated, but we appreciated the living daylights out of it. Anyway, the pit. Um. The Pit is an interesting story. I really feel like it is a it is a COVID story, and a lot of these stories are COVID stories. There's a certain level of defeatism mm-hmm. and fatalism in a lot of these stories that is different for the Star Wars universe, which is usually bursting at the seams with hope and found family. Those are the two building blocks you can always go back to. These ones really hit harder um, than than if they were told, you know, two years beforehand, or even like, you know, season one of Visions, which might have come out while we were all locked home. But all of those projects have been worked on prior to, and they, they retain that classic Star Wars... Um, sensibility and the pit just kind of is like nah dude we're gonna take your main character and we're going to kill him by throwing him off a cliff and it's like okay what do i tell my kids about this story (laughs) like do your best work hard stand up for those who need help and hopefully don't die along the way Uh, now i know that there's more to it than that but it definitely comes away with a very different message. Um, there's a lot of strong Dark Knight Rises vibes to this one. It's oh. almost like they took the whole Bane. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was born into darkness uh, mentality and made an, a Star Wars 15 minutes short off of it. So it's just not one I'm ever going to really have that kind of interest in going back to and revisiting and being like, okay, what else can I mine from this particular tale? I feel like it, it says exactly what it wants to say. And that's about it. Okay. What did you have? Is the pit going to be anywhere on your lists? It is not. No, it's somewhere okay. middle of the pack. Okay, fair enough. So I'm not going to break anybody's heart with that one, at least tonight. That sounds good. Okay, what is your most egregious 
your number one butt of season two. So I'm really kind of scared here. <laughs> so uh, my number one actually goes off that point where it's, I mean, it, it's been a little bit the sort of recurring theme of my butts, but goes to what exactly what you're saying in terms of like, not a lot to kind of mine through or kind of chew on afterwards or to revisit. And maybe this might hurt you. I don't know, but it's, I am your mother. Oh, shoo. Okay, good. That's my number one. Oh, well. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I know it's, it's it's Dennis Lawson as Wedge Antilly, so I didn't know if I was set, stepping on sensitive territory here. The hero of the rebellion was done dirty in this particular episode. Okay, he does not sell. He does not hawk his own merch. Like I literally jaw open wide the entire like episode, going, "Are you kidding me?" Like I I this close to taking it personally. Um, you go ahead first. Explain your uh, your your particular placement. I, I think, yeah, I think it's a combination for this one of, yeah, like I said, like it's very much like sort of what you see is what you get, that element of it in terms of the story. I think a little bit in, in terms of, I guess, more to more substantive is like the, the animation style of Ardman is one that I don't necessarily like super vibe with just from a kind of, ah. you know, personal taste level. So like seeing that also is just like, well, I'm not really like kind of connecting that the way that when we get to the best, I will I'll talk about you know some animation that really grabbed me, or, or different styles of some of these other episodes. So yeah, I think it was a combination of those two things of like okay, this was like you know like a, a nice little heartwarming story about a you know a mother and daughter, which is good. I mean, we don't get a lot of those in Star Wars mother daughter stories. We don't get a lot of mother stories, at least happy mother <laughs> stories. You know, no, none of them go well for the moms. That's how you know it's a Disney project now. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it is good to have that in Star. Star Wars like in you know to the like that it doesn't represent something of a fresh take on Star Wars mm-hmm. but yeah I think it was more to your point about like yeah it was sort of the the what you see is what you get and then yeah it's like on to the next one yeah having Ardman animation as one of your like Ardman animation has got to be one of the most successful animation studios in in you know outside of like Disney Pixar kind of things like they have done so many things and they've been around for so long that I was really surprised that this is a studio that they chose to highlight. Because, again, when Visions two, Season 2 was pitched, it was, ba- it was trying to give a voice to those you wouldn't have heard otherwise. Mm-hmm. But Ardman is like Chicken Run from 1989. Yeah. All the Wallace and Gromit movies in like the past 25, 30 years, it's not an unknown name. So it's to me... It's similar to be like if they were saying, you know what, we want to do a new Star Wars show on a series. Uh, we're going to feature some underviewed characters, somebody who like underrepresented. Let's do one about clones again. Yeah. Like, are you sure that's the way you want to go? <laughs> I was. Oh, I. It, there. It's a good story. It's it's fun. It's fine. It's cute, but. There's no reason to go back and watch it again. The mom is the best character. Yes. She's, she's the most redeeming part about it. The daughter's kind of cute. She's fun. But nothing else is really like ever going to, like, there's no one who's going to write, you know, a, a 2,500 word article on this one, I don't think, guys. I, I can't believe Dennis Lawson came back <laughs> and lent his voice, vocal talents. To, now, maybe, maybe he's a lot more fun of an individual than I realize. The only thing I know him from is the star Wars movie. So he is wedge Antilles in my mind. I'm sure he's had a storied career outside of like the 15 minutes he's been on <laughs> in these actual movies. He's not in them a lot, but he's still the best character. So I, I don't know, man, I, I just can't, 
I can't get over that one. Most hyped, most disappointing. You know, zero out of ten, guys. Come on. <laughs> oh, so sad. So sad. Okay. On to happier trails, though. So that gives us kind of like our, our, our butts are out of the way behind us, as you might think. Um, and so we get to move on to the, the top three. Again, we'll start with number three, work our way up to one. So what is your third best entry into, this, the, into uh, season two here? So my number three is one that has already come up, albeit in passing, and that is In the Stars. Uh-oh. Okay. All yeah. Right. So this is one that I really like. Again, going to the kind of comparison of like what's the season one analog. This one feels very much like the Village Bride of season two. Now, admittedly, the Village Bride was my Ooh. favorite of season one. I was about to say, be yeah. real careful with that analogy. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Exactly. It is not the Village Bride. The Village Bride is like is deeply sacred and special and important <laughs> to me. So I'm not gonna like. Don't worry. I understand that. But I mean, in terms of you get some of the themes about like mysticism, you get at the beginning the story about their mom dying and she becomes one of the stars. And then you have also this the whole kind of Star Wars duality about nature and technology when they go to Mm -hmm. the, you know, the Imperial factory. I don't know exactly what it is. And then they free the water using the force. So I think what really struck me is, again, some of those kind of you know story beats there that are similar to something like you get in village bride and then also i'm just like when it comes to things in star wars that i'm just a sucker for and have a bottomless appetite for it is like the force mysticism stuff so it's like you know the the one sister falling like like falling over the edge and the other one reaches out and grabs her and then they you know they stare down the atst (laughs) and you know they push it with the force like that like the you know the yoda stuff about like you know the tree the rock everywhere like i'm just a sucker for that Okay. Yeah, I, I I can understand that. I mean, there's there is a lot of the, that kind of fun stuff that's in there, and I like the combined animation style of like you have your your stop motion esque characters who seem like they're really crafted out of something physical with, and then you have all the digital environments that they move through is really beautiful. Yeah, I was kind of surprised about that, and I'm not sure has an ATST been as menacing. In Star Wars, besides that, like this one, and maybe the one from Mando season one. No, I think those are the two. I'm really impressed in how like people have taken something we've been so familiar with, like that, and changing the way we react to it. Because yeah. when those things come clanking out of those the the garrison doors, it's like, oh no, we are in trouble. Yeah, because it's you know it's alluded to in the beginning when they're telling the mother's story that the ATST showed up and basically wiped everybody out. It killed everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what they tell us. And then so it comes back, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, because we know how the story is going to go, but it's different now because they have I don't know the power of sisterhood, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Mm, we'll see. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that one. Um, I think that's that's probably one of the better ones. I was surprised that one was earlier in the season, though. Like, I feel like I was kind of thinking that one would probably be pushed more to the end or of the nine episodes rather than being so early on. But I don't know if there's a whole lot of rhyme and reason to the order in which they, they number their episodes. I'm not really sure because there's yeah, not I, like a, a story that tracks. Yeah, I wonder about that, too. I particularly wondered about that in season one more so, like particularly the decision to end on Akakiri. I've always found fascinating. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like season one was probably like, let's hit them hard and and then just keep them coming. As long as they're engaged, they'll make it through. And if they don't, then, you know, they're, they're not going to be ready for Akakiri. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in terms of season one, 
the duel and Akakiri feel like the most deliberate picks in terms of we want these to be bookends. The middle oh, I'm less sure about. Okay. What, you didn't think Tatooine Rhapsody was a good follow-up <laughs> to the duel? They're so tonally fluent from one to the other. I, I know, I can't think of a, a, a possibly different way they could have structured that. Anyway, my number three best um, is one we haven't mentioned yet, and I'm afraid that this one's going to get overlooked as time goes on. I don't think people are going to respond to this one as positively as I did. The Spy Dancer. Well, that's a good that's one. Three. That's a good I one. was hooked by this one. Just the the style, like you said, your, your criteria is basically vibes. This one has it. Yes. Because everything in it is beautiful. The characters are beautiful. Um, the style, the animation is beautiful. The, the, the motion, the dance that she actually does is amazing to watch. And I just love that kind of slightly surrealistic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like you can see most of this happening in kind of a live action, except for like the, the, the mystical qualities to her dance. Cause clearly that the, her, her, her dress and tunic and, and material and fabric isn't 800 miles long, nor is it stronger than steel cables, which clearly it is in the, in the show. And that's fine. Like that's just the right level of the suspension of disbelief for something like this that just made it an absolute joy to watch. And then you have the heartbreaking story of the mom who loses her son and then re-engages with him in the most unbelievable fashion. And, and there isn't a super positive resolution to that. All that you're left with that in the end is the hope that maybe they'll be able to actually reconnect in the future. Yeah. Like you don't know the story's really going to end for these two characters. And there's something beautiful about that. Mm -hmm. You know, this 15 minute story is just kind of the tipping point in both of these characters lives where they have this opportunity to be connected and they kind of miss it. Not for lack of trying, but just for the way that the circumstances of the war really spin around them and make things impossible for them to really to really grab onto so i i don't know if i'm the only one who likes this this particular oh no episode. okay good uh, what does this one not going to fall on your list anywhere is this going to be a middling one for you it, it, it's also a middling one for me but it is one that i really enjoy because yeah you're right stylistically i it's very unique i think in terms of the perspective we get in star wars i think it's very unique because you know you get again you know it's set in this dark times reign of the empire period mm-hmm. and we've seen a lot of different perspectives whether it's you know Jedi in hiding or, you know, just general like force sensitive people who are under persecution and on the run. You get just, you know, like, you know, somewhat like like in Andor, which is like you're just you get your like regular people on the ground and how they're responding. But then this is like the story of an artist and the way that they are trying to make it in this environment. Like that's a story that we really haven't gotten yeah, it kind of has that Rebels vibe to it, yes. where you can feel like these are people who had lives outside of the Rebellion, mm-hmm. and then for for whatever reason, they got sucked into the fight, and they're using what they come with in order to push the you know their particular their particular side of the war forward. And I was kind of it was kind of neat to actually have them name check the rebellion like that. The character mm-hmm. um, Jean, who's kind of the the the, the fixed it man who's <laughs> stealing from the Empire, and, and in order to you know he's he's very Kanan esque to me and the way in which he he interacts with the other characters. I I really liked it and I would love to see more of those guys in a story. 
that was definitely uh, one I would I would hope we could get more information out of them. What? Uh, let's keep going then. Let's keep rolling. What's number two on your list? All right, number two, another one that got mentioned in passing, and that is the Bandits of Golak. I knew this was going to come up somewhere on your list. Yeah, I love the Bandits of Golak. This one dazzled me from a stylistic perspective. Really? Yes, it was okay. just the the animation like. I will sort of concede to the points that you brought up when we were talking about the bottom three in terms of the similarity with other stories that we've gotten both in Vision Season 2 and even kind of going back to Vision Season 1. That like, yes, it's a dark time story. You get, you know, Force-sensitive person on the run. Inquisitor shows up. You know, like, th- there, there are those beats. Like, it's absolutely <laughs> true. Like, there, there's, no, true. there's no getting around that. But just in terms of the... Uh, you know, going to this like the particular studio and the design, the bringing in of the Indian influences, the design of that Inquisitor, that mm. duel. I haven't been like just like raptured by a duel like that just visually for a minute. Like it was beautiful wow. to watch the animation of that duel. Okay. So yeah, that was the one that just kind of captivated me from a visual point of view. And so yeah, that is why I put it at my number two. Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely stands out in the crowd. Like, there's nothing else that we've seen in the Star Wars universe that looks quite like that. Nothing takes place in that world, and that's a good thing. It was weird. I thought the first thing that strikes you is like it's a train on tracks. It's not like a hover train. Yeah, it's not a repulsor lift. Like you can feel like there's wheels and gears. It really feels like a physical thing and we just don't get much of that in the universe. Everything floats and everything Mm -hmm. hovers, but this one, this one rolls around on the ground a little bit, which is kind of cool. Oh boy. Okay. Where's my number two? Number two. Okay. You already mentioned this one journey to the dark head. Okay. Um, I, I love this. This is exactly the kind of story I come to this expecting. And this one definitely delivered. Um, I love. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how the lightsaber fight in this one, in your mind, is is eclipsed by the one we just talked about because this one was fascinating. Like I love everything about the way that they did this one. The fights between uh, Toul, I think, is the is the Padawan's name. Yeah, um, Toal, Toul, um, and how the he's. He's not struggling with his anger. He's full-fledged on board with it. And it was a very interesting story that he's kind of going through while um, Ara, who's the pilot, who is also Force-sensitive, she's dealing with things. And and, uh, none of them really understand how to work the balance between light and dark in the Force. They're both kind of struggling to find the right way to do it. My, my, My grief with this episode is another one of those common themes between a lot of the episodes is that we're trying to do in these episodes a lot more of quote balance in the, of the force and of quote equals light and dark coexisting Mm. like an equal footing. And that's not really what other star Wars entries have been trying to, to reset. Like you think back to like something like master and apprentice, where Qui-Gon even says, you know, you, you, you follow and serve the light because it is the light. Like, balance in the Force isn't equal coexistence. It's light keeps darkness down 
Yeah. That's what balancing about because the dark side is an inherent imbalance. It yeah. is selfish. It is greed. It is cancer. It is poison. Yeah. But Sith kind of does episodes, this too. Which one? Sith. Like a little Sith bit. Sith does it a, uh, not a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of bit. Um, and this one is, it's interesting because I think in this one though, in uh, journey to the dark head, at least it's contextualized within the world that the character comes from. Like she comes from this planet that is defined by two statues, which represent the dark side and the light side. And they are connected by this giant halo ring between them. And it is when those two statues live in harmony and the environment is clear and it rains that they can interpret these visions, whether past or future that the force brings to them. So the story is trying to tell you only when these two things are in balance, can you really see the truth in the middle? That's kind of the general thesis that I feel like it's trying to explain. And while that may not line up with everything else in the star Wars universe, if you're going to screw around with the rules, visions is the place to do that. Right. So I think that's fine. And that's why I like this one because it has such a, I feel like it's such a solid kind of, um, approach like everything really does fit together in order to serve that main thesis uh and 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 alongside of that it's also very entertaining to watch these guys like fight each other and like there's the drama of toll has to sacrifice of himself in order to stop the dark side master and in doing so he sacrifices himself he starts to fall but he's saved by the pilot oh it's it's just it's just a wonderful thing to watch (laughs) but i feel like this one Along with, um, I don't remember which one we were talking about, but the one that fits like inside the Star Wars universe, like you could imagine this is a real story that happened. This one fits in that kind of sandbox. Like it plays by the rules. It's probably a, it it looked like a a High Republic era kind of thing where Mm -hmm. you have this Jedi Council meeting, but it's not Coruscant. So clearly it's somewhere else. And so I kind of get that vibe of like, this could have fit into a High Republic timeline but it doesn't have to um and because i went back and checked there is a a new i think it's oh it's not a high republic symbol like you know the high republic symbol is like the fan blades yes with the one saber up the middle this is not that it's it's more it's the feathery wings that look kind of like sabine's yes yes i think i I noticed that too yeah i was trying to like i can't remember exactly which timeline that was pointing to at one point in human history but it's not High Republic anymore, so eh, what are you going to do? We'll get a High Republic anime one of these days. I'm calling my shot. All right, though. We're coming to the end here, and no one's... there. There's definitely... I feel like I know what your number one's going to be. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we haven't do. mentioned it yet. Yeah. Because it's also probably going to be my number one. So why don't you go ahead All and explain? Right. Let's talk about... The one short from Vision Season 2 that I have not stopped being able to think about since I watched it. <laughs> the one that just burrowed to my soul and has just latched on like a tick. Possibly the saddest uh, Star Wars entry ever. Let's talk about Screecher's Reach. Oh my gosh. It's Oh. I got so sad watching this episode. It is so... the the kind of moves that they make in the story where like it starts you off, you know, and it starts with these kids in this factory at, you know, they're in, you know, they're dealing with just like 
crappy lives and they're in this bad situation and you get the kind of the yearning you get the great i i, I posted on twitter like the great exchange in there where where doll the main character is talking i can't remember the other the other guy but he's where he says there are worse lives doll and she replies there are oh. better lives oh. that, that's good writing in my soul that is somebody watched the binary sunset and was like i'm gonna write down <laughs> what this is i'm gonna put this to words I'm going to put the unspoken into words. And so you are starting with this and you are getting that kind of looking to the horizon, very classic Star Wars hero thing. And then it goes into, oh, here's this, you know, this mystical cave and there's this ghost. We got caves. Yeah. And you're thinking about, okay, Dagobah, Octo, Mm -hmm. like you're thinking of that stuff. And then, you know, they're going through and Dahl's going to be like, okay, so she's the one that's going to be tested. She's going to meet the specter. And then in that last, whatever, fourth, third, just they just up the discomfort like inch by inch where it's like first like, oh, that wasn't a specter. It was a real person. That was some like old woman. And it's like, oh, the amulet talks. Oh, then there's a spaceship. Oh, weird bird woman thing. (laughs) It's just like, oh, she's going with the weird bird woman thing. It's just like it gets just it ups and ups and you just become more and more uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. It is so creepy. And like this is kind of like like those night like the eighties style kids movies like Labyrinth and other weird things that we probably should not have been watching as kids. That's what this episode is. But I feel like that's perfect. Like the scariness of the cave is like palpable. It's real. Like I, I'm uncomfortable when the kids first go into the cave and the the one kid says, I don't want to see a ghost anymore. I'm like, (laughs) I'm with you kid. Let's get out of here. It's so good. But like, it's crazy. Like upon repeat viewing, when you know, all of the information that we learn the first time you watch it, you, you can clearly tell something's not right. Like doll is very sad mm-hmm. and we don't really know why. Um, but then we learn, you know, she goes into the cave and she pulls out this amulet. We don't know anything about it, And she says, I follow your path with strength and courage. It's kind of her mantra that she whispers yeah. back to it, which when you realize it's a comm link kind of changes changes the meaning of that a little bit because she's committing to a a person a thing and she's clearly asking for help like she starts saying it's all in my mind it's all in my mind and you think it is because of the way the animation presents the 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 witch i don't really know what to call her the ghost because it's again it's clearly not in her mind yeah it's clearly a real person and you get to the point she pulls the rock down. You know, she's reaching for the light. Um, she's calling out for more strength, and she ends up calling the rock down. And the rock falls on the witch and pins her to the ground. And you're like, oh, okay. What happens next? And Doll takes the lightsaber and kills her. Like, oh, this is, this is not normal. This is not good. And it just it escalates, and it escalates, and it escalates. And it just gets more and more uncomfortable. But it's interesting how many of those seeds are planted early on. Like she's talking to her her friend, like you had said, there are worse ways to live. There are better. And the the conversation around the fire um, encampment where he says, hey, if you've got a chance for a better life, take it and don't look back. Mm -hmm. He actually says to her the same thing Shmi says to Anakin, don't look back. 
And then at the moment where she's she is told by this strange force user who I'm presuming is another Sith. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I, I, I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks that, but clearly, Doll has just apprenticed herself to the evil one. Yes. <laughs> and doesn't, and but she doesn't realize that until that last moment when she turns and she looks back and the gate closes on her and that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Play that one again, Sam, because I missed something. It there is this is like dual level, like for from Vision season one, like the duel. There's nobody telling stories on this level. Yeah. Like this is definitely something we're gonna be reaching back to. Like I, this one, it might just it might just be perfect. Yeah, it, it really like, might it's, be. It's, yeah. It's right there. There's something so perfect about the way it's structured the way it's built the way you you look back and you're like oh everything is there for a reason Mm -hmm. every conversation is there for a reason all those kids are there for a reason and it's like oh and then when you get (laughs) it's just uncomfortable it's very sad like i can't think of a sadder story to really learn than as as someone when you put your trust in someone even as a, especially as a child, when you put your trust in someone who says, I can offer you a better life if you go and do this thing. And it turns out the thing they want you to do is evil. And it turns out the person that's going to take you away from your harsh life is just as evil. And it's like, Oh, this is a life lesson. Yeah. This is like, this is a scary life lesson where some of these episodes are ice cream cones and they're fun and they're fine. Mm -hmm. This one's a life lesson. And it's, this is a hard one. And we don't get hard stories like this in Star Wars. Um, I mean, I, I I don't know if there's anything that hits this level of like, oh, things are bad. The universe is a scary and bad place, and there are people out there who want to take advantage of you. And you're going to follow them. You're going to make mistakes. And it's how we bounce back from them. But Doll is just the beginning of her mistake, and she's going to live with like, these things, and it's going to be a hard, hard life. But you know what? It's also a very Irish story. Yes. Right? The studio um, is an Irish studio. Mm-hmm. And it's a, like those Irish fairy tales and folk tales, they're not happy endings either. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't say enough about this one. What else did you have about this one? Anything else well, stand uh, out that... I mean, a couple of things. I mean, like you just mentioned it about being an Irish studio. I mean, the 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 Sith woman or the, you know, the witch that is in there very much inspired by the Banshee to fi- oh, figure yeah. in Irish mythology, like the, the, the specter of the screaming, wailing woman. So like, there's that element. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about the cave al- aspect of it all, but like, I love the way that it is sort of like the photo negative here of the cave story that we've gotten. Cause like, if you think about mm. you know, the, the OG one, you know, in Empire, Yoda, you know, Luke goes through and then Yoda, you know, afterwards says like, the cave, remember your failure at the cave. Right. And of course, Luke's failure in the cave, even though the film doesn't spell it out, is he gives into the fear and the anger and he lashes out at the specter of Vader. Dahl does the same, but here it is framed as a passing of the test. Oh. Because she says like, this oh. test was meant for you and you passed it. 
And even that that whole exchange that they have there, where you where she's like where she says something like, "Oh, I thought the test was in my mind," and then yes. the woman replies like, "The true test is always in your mind. It's always in your mind." And you're like, "Oh no!" That that's another like someone was taking notes, someone was watching yeah. and knows. But that's what's interesting is Dahl from like from uh, from our outside perspective, she failed the test because she was unable to hear the evil. Yes. Like in the offer. She missed it. Whereas Luke learned from his lesson to mm-hmm. say, like, you know, Yoda first tells him, um, your weapons, you won't need them. You know, Or Luke asks him what's in there. And he says, only what you take with Correct. you. Correct. So there's an honesty there. And, and that's when Luke belts up. He puts his, his belt on. So he's taking violence. He's taking that, you know, brash action in there with him. Dahl is sent in there on a different mission of what we presume the mission is probably something like, confront confrontation yeah like this person is poisoning this area and you need to clear the evil from the area but really she's probably just you know somebody that the the second sith had beef with probably and, yeah and she's just using doll to eliminate an arrival <laughs> like, yeah that's some dark stuff man oh yeah and i just i love the you know the, the stories that we get that get into both the nature of the dark side and also its appeal, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, I mean, one of the things that you get in Star Wars, I think like one of the morals of Star Wars is that like, as again, to, you know, bring back Empire here in Yoda, like, as Yoda says there, the, the dark side is not stronger. Like, that is right. the case. Right. And, and the, the story about it is, however, powerful and it mm-hmm. would not be tempting if it weren't. And that's what you get. That's wow. what you get with Dahl and what you get, what you were talking about. Like just the allure of like here, like I'm going to give you this thing of the, like you have this lousy life and I'm going to give you a better one. Just this, that temptation there. Like, and all you have to do is just, you have to do this one thing. And that's the thing always with the dark side. Like it gets you to do one thing and then it becomes much, that much easier to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And like, that's how they get you. <laughs> it really is. And there, and there is like that, that temporary reward like that momentary feeling of because at the end of it when she presents the lightsaber um then doll is told you can keep that Mm -hmm. and like that's her trophy yes but we know because of the context of what that saber actually is like no this is poison yes this is a poison pill that she's accepting and she's gonna and she decides to swallow it and it's not until it's all the way down like we said before when she's on the on board the ship and she realizes she's made a mistake she may not even know why she's made a mistake yet and it's just such a heartbreaking truth it kind of like is the opposite of what we've seen in the movies where the, the movies tell us you know you can overcome evil by finding the good in everything Whereas the lesson here is there's more evil out there than you might think, and it is awfully attractive evil. Yeah. Man. I mean, which is, you know, which is, a, which is a, a moral lesson that you get in parts of Star Wars. It is sort of part of the, 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 sure. the lesson of, let's say, Revenge of the Sith, the temptation of, like, here is this, like, I'm, I'm going to bait you with this knowledge of this ultimate power over life and death. Like, what if you could right. wield it in the palm of your hand? And, like, well, that's and how Palpatine gets. Such, yeah. And using it for such a noble purpose of saving the one you love. Right? Yeah. Like, it, 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 there's always the carrot that's dangling. because There's always some modicum of truth to what mm-hmm. the dark side whispers. And this is kind of, like, even true in in the real world of like evil always has this tiny little bit, this little glimpse 
of something promising, right? It gives you a little bit of what you actually need, but there's all those strings attached and they're all designed to drag you down. Yes. Like you had said, it just gets easier to compromise just a little bit. And the next time you compromise just a little bit more and you compromise a little bit more until suddenly you're, (laughs) I don't know, the second in command of the Galactic Empire. Yeah. Which, you know, pluses and minuses, but the whole, you know, selling of your soul and and getting just an empty paper in return is just, oh man, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. The the other moral of Star Wars, which is the, the dark side gets you by the promise to give, but ultimately it just takes and takes and takes. Absolutely. Which is, again, we were talking about before about the concept of balance of the force. There, there isn't this coexistence. Um, so we haven't talked about Sith yet, the episode yeah. Sith. Um, this one, I feel like, first off, absolutely gorgeous yes. to watch. 100%. I don't think there's a better like artistic approach just visually speaking, I'm not really a an art critique-er, <laughs> critic. That's the right. word. There's a better word than critiquer. <laughs> it's called critic. I knew that. I can speak the English language pretty darn well. That might be the most appealing visual episode, but man, I'm not cool with that story at all. <laughs> you, with the kind of the balance thing? Yeah, because it's very clear that... that in that episode, the force is portrayed in, in the light side of the force is portrayed in beauty, in nature, perfectly fine. And with that, you know, you've got like everything from the initial um, when she's making, or you know, she's making like the it's not coffee, but it's from a coffee cup maker, basically. What does it's not a coffee cup maker? Nothing makes coffee cups. It makes the coffee, and the one giant drip falls into the cup. It's colorful. You know, the bubbles escape from the thing and there's this world of color that floats around her. And when she goes to interact with it, the darkness that is within her spreads to that. You know, when she's sleeping and we first see her asleep, um, she's struggling with her nightmares and we see the black kind of has spread from her like an impact crater almost. Um, And when she goes to paint, it's almost like the darkness wants to be a part of the painting. Um, So there's definitely something like an internal a natural state of the dark side inside of her. You know, she's struggling with that as we learn that she is a former Sith apprentice and she's, she hasn't extricated that from her soul yet. But the way the episode kind of wraps up is like, she's not interested in pulling it all out. Yeah. She's much more interested in balancing it out. And that's, I think the final shot of that is um, two things. One, there's a close up of her, of her eye, like, like the iris of mm-hmm. her eye is very it's a it's, it turns yellow and then the camera switches or transposes the sun over top of her so we know that yellow eyes mean something very specific yeah so that's some language that they're 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 i think leaning on but then it transitions to the sun which on the left and the right side are two different color circles of the sun so the story is trying to tell you that she's finding her life in the middle where the two li- the light on the left and the dark on the right are in balance and that's what she's striving for and i just don't buy that i i it's not a concept that that i care for (laughs) no i'm with you there too okay um i do love the lightsaber designs in sith i think um the dark masters excalibur looking hilt is amazing um i love her yellow katana i really wish it did not turn into a double-bladed lightsaber (laughs) like 
I didn't care for that because it's just more duality uh, reinforcement. Right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, but no, guys. So I don't know. Sith for me is in the middle. That's like my number four because it is still really interesting to watch. Yeah, I, there's I, something I, interesting in there. I think that would be mine too. I had I, when I was making the list, it was like in the stars and Sith were kind of on the bubble, kind of back and forth. So yeah. what what else from that one did you appreciate though? That might maybe fought it was fighting for that number three slot in Sith. Yeah. I think a lot of it probably came out. If it had ended up going in three, I think a lot of it would have been to the credit of, as you mentioned, the visual style. Okay. I think just, yeah, just how, just what they do with color and the way they play with that into some of the themes of the story about light and dark. So, Did you notice that the Dark Master's cloak never flutters in the same direction as the wind? No, I did not. I'm trying to decide if that means he's, you know, a little bit of that Darth Vader uh, lives for the drama kind of thing. <laughs> Probably. Because all of his entrances are amazing. They are. But I was like, why is this cloak going the opposite direction? And then it does it again. And I'm like, this is on purpose, guys. Okay. I'm looking for something now. This is cool. I like it when they code messages. <laughs> Stupid stuff like that. <laughs> but why, why does every Sith Master need a breathing apparatus? Why do they all have some kind of like tubes in their head or chain whip helmet or do they not just like, I feel like Palpatine was really trying to be the only one who could actually like show his face in public and not have a weird thing going on like a mechanical face mask or <laughs> spider legs or I don't even know what else. Yeah, he was going for much more that austere vibe. <laughs> <laughs> They're very much like, I'm, I'm still running for public office. I'm still going to fix the potholes, but I am evil to the core. Exactly. So your vote does count. <laughs> uh, it's quite. I don't think that's quite the lesson that we're supposed to take away from The Phantom Menace, but... It's definitely one of the <laughs> <laughs> Palpatine made the trains run on time. I mean, there's something to be said for efficient. Like we said, there's always a little sliver of what you actually want in the dark side. Yeah. It's bad. We should just clarify. It's bad. that He was bad, and we would never, ever vote for him on purpose. Correct. Right? Okay, good. What are your final thoughts on Vision Season 2? Like, how does it stack up to Season 1 in your mind? Yeah, so I think, as I mentioned before, I think overall, when you kind of compare the two volumes as sort of units, I think this one is more cohesive in terms of quality, or cohesive and consistent in terms of quality. Like, I think they are okay. all some level of good. I think, again, the variations from, like, the one that I think is the best to the one that is, you know, the, the kind of least best for me, the one that I least enjoy, I think is smaller than if you were to do the same kind of comparison for volume one, I would say though, as maybe a kind of countervailing opinion, I don't feel like the highs of season two or volume two are quite as high as the highs of volume one. Interesting. Like as much as I, you know, enjoyed all of these and, you know, we, we talked about particularly in the best, like the ones that affected us. And we talked about Screechers reach and all that. Like, I don't know, for instance, that like did any of them like sweep me off my feet the way that like village bride did, you know, like, I mean, Interesting. Okay. Like, again, Screechers Reach probably affected me in a different way. 
basically. <laughs> that one we think about for different reasons. But what yeah, is like the I polar I, opposite. Of exactly. Off your feet, knocking you on your butt. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know that the highs quite meet the highs, even though I think from a kind of, again, cohesive package level, I think it's a kind of stronger package overall. Hmm. So Village Bard is your top out of season one, right? Yes. What would you, if you were to give your top three of that one, do you think you could think of two more off the top of your head? Yeah, it would probably be, let's say, Village Bride. Um, I, the, the duel would be in there. And I might say maybe, I'm just trying to think back to all of them. Probably Ninth, mm-hmm. ninth Jedi. Ninth Jedi is good. Yeah. Again, Lopinocho might be like, uh, like on the bubble there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, probably those three. Okay. Um, yeah, Ninth Jedi was really good. That one caught me off guard with the the reveal. Yes. Um, towards the end, I like audible gasp at the moment. My wife looked at me like, "Really? Are you that stupid?" <laughs> like, yes, clearly. Um. So, in, but you didn't read Ronin, did you? I did. You did? Yeah. I listened to it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Maybe I need to try the audiobook on that one again. It's quite a good one. To... Really? Yeah. It's my favorite. It's my favorite book. So that leads me to my, my last question is one of these nine in season two, you have to green light a book. One episode gets a book. Ooh. Don't care. Pre prequel, postquel, not postquel, there's a better word. Sequel. Um, a la Ronin. Yeah. Uh, but you get to greenlight a book for one of these episodes. Which one's it going to be? Oh, let's see. Um, get, let's see. Let's see. Think about this. I don't know that it, my answer would be Screechers or each. Um, no, I don't want more of that. <laughs> that one is a perfect. Don't. No, yeah. You can't add to it. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it's just, it's a perfect little morsel. Just leave it as is. Um, yeah. I think I would say. I'm trying and thinking back through. You've got, because you kind of have to put aside the more surreal stories. So like Sith, I don't feel like makes a ton of sense. I mean, you could write something about it, but like there's, there's some lower hanging fruit. A journey to the dark head is a very grounded story. The pit is a very grounded story. Um, I I would probably bandits of Golak would might be up there. I, I think you could do a good novel okay. on that. There is something to those bandits, and not not the kids' bandits, but mm-hmm. like when the train is going through the canyon, they refer to a a group of I don't know outlaws or I, I missed the term and, and never really got a good handle on what they were described as. Let me see if I have it in my notes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they're kind of like a cheap, not cheap. That's the wrong word, but they're kind of like this world's version of the Pike Syndicate. Yeah, looks like to me. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't. I didn't think they were rebels, like of the Rebel Alliance, but I feel like there's something there. Yeah, that could be interesting. Or would you rather follow like the the young girl as she trains with uh, the the elderly proprietor of the watering hole in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, you could do that story. I mean, you could even go as a prequel story to go back to the the old woman and like what her background is or something oh, like that, or even the background of the Inquisitor. You know, you one might imagine this is not the first time that they've crossed paths, or you know. But yeah, yeah. he's probably been out there hunting, hunting other uh, Jedi in the wilderness out there. That could be interesting. 
Are there any Inquisitors that are unaccounted for in in canon? Because there's supposed to be like what twelve of them, I think, or thirteen maybe. Something I don't like know that. If they, I know there's a lot that we got. Well, not a lot. We have most of them filled in with characters. You know, Jedi or Fallen Order. Yeah, he was a couple. I don't know if you've inter- Don't say if you've met any new ones in the second game. I yet, will not. It's still pretty new. I don't think we want to spoil anything. Yeah, and I'm not going to play it. So who knows? Um, but we maybe have. I mean, there's a couple that are unnamed. There is the one that we're getting the book about, but I don't know. That's true. I, I, I mean, she's already from the comics, but I don't know what her her designation is. Like, what sister is she? What nth sister is she? I don't know. <laughs> I like the idea of which sister to the N power for some yes. reason. When you said nth, I was like, to the N power. I was like, oh, I don't think that's how it works, though. I'm not real good at the Inquisitor, so I can't really say. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's kind of a wrap. That hits my notes for season two of Visions. Any other uh, any parting thoughts you want to leave with everybody? No, I don't think so. You looking forward to season three already, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really hope that they do more because I think I think Visions and High Republic are probably the most important initiatives happening in Star Wars right now. That is quite a statement. (laughs) I really do because I think. I think Star Wars thrives when it is on the frontier and it is pushing that boundary. And I think that's what both of the projects are doing, which, you know, High Republic in terms of both time period, you know, getting into a a period in Star Wars history that we've never really explored ever and, you know, doing it through this largely, you know, book spearheaded project but also has this kind of you know transmedia element to it where you got comics you got audio dramas we're going to have a tv show in a little bit so i think in that way and then in terms of visions in bringing in these studios and having them give their own takes and give their own visual styles and their own story perspectives i think is really important and i mean both my my expectation my hope is that once you know you were talking to star wars creators 20 30 years down the road that we might get people who are like oh yeah like i was a kid and i saw this vision short and that like changed the way that i think about star wars hmm. i really think that potential is there i mean in a lot of ways with a lot of the vision shorts maybe in all of them like this could be someone's introduction to star wars you don't need a lot in terms of prereqs of star wars to watch visions you know a little bit about like kind of Jedi and the Force, but other than that, you don't really need to know much. So, so you could plop someone down as someone who's interested in Star Wars and like, here's 15 minutes of this short. Watch this, and if you're interested, here's more, and then here are the movies, etc. Perfect. Absolutely. Love it. 100%. Fully endorsed. I think that's that's a great place to leave it. Devor, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah. I'm glad we had the same number one. I can't believe... That uh, you didn't love Journey to the Dark Head as much as I did, but we'll save that. Um, we'll have to see what Brandon's uh, ranking was going to be, because I know he was really excited about getting into these things. You know his number one is probably going to be Screechers Reach, too. He's all about the cave. Yeah, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Analogies. He's a big fan of that. What do you think is going to be his worst? What do you think he's going to hate the most? <laughs> <sighs> um, 
I am trying to think. It, 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 it might be one of the either I Am Your Mother or maybe Aou's song. I don't know. I'm thinking of that. Could be it. I don't know. Aou's song has a cave in it, too. It does have like, a cave in it. It's all about the cave. And yeah. In the stars. Them do. In the, the stars has water. So. Yeah. <laughs> It's just hitting all the hitting all the Brandon like goods here. I, I mean, he's got he's got a brand and he's gonna stay on it. Bandits of Golak has the cave that they all like. They, she takes the young girl yeah. into under the water pit. So <laughs> it's got both. So yeah, he's probably gonna. It's gonna be I am your mother or the spy dancer. I feel like he's gonna hate the spy dancer. Spy dancer. He could be. Could even be the pit. I don't know. It's. I want to find out. I want to find out. Yeah, I can't wait. We're gonna have to bother him and see if we yeah. can get some uh, inside information. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, again, you can, best way to support the team is probably go to patreon.com slash clashing saber, sign up for recurring donations there. All of that money goes to the purchase and distribution of books um, to schools and classrooms across the country. What schools and classrooms, you might ask? Devor, how do they, uh, do you know how they can uh, tell what school they're going to go to? I do not, actually. <gasps> okay, well, then if you went to clashingsabers.net, you can actually nominate a teacher or a school if you don't know a particular teacher there, and we will send them a box of stuff. So all you have to do is remember that teacher who really meant something to you, really caught you, you know, introduced you to the love of reading in, I don't know, say fourth grade at Johnstone Elementary School in South Jersey. You can f- send in that teacher's name and address, their contact information, and we will send them a box of stuff. They'll get books, they'll get bookmarks, um, notepads, all kinds of things that the teacher's going to need to have in their classroom to make sure that their kids have something quality to read. It can be elementary school, middle school, high school, special needs, um, ESL, anything that you guys have a passion for, we can get books, Star Wars books, into those kids' hands and kind of pass on what we have learned. So do that at the website. Support the... um, Support through the Patreon. We'll get the funds to do that kind of thing. Brandon's got a closet full of books he's trying to mail out. So we had a couple teachers come in this past week, which was great. So we'll be sending out two or three boxes for that. Um, But please put your favorite teacher's name on the list, clashingsabers.net, and you can find that there under, I think it's just nominate. There's a button that says nominate on the side of the webpage. Do that, and you'll be able to input their information there. While you're at the website, you can check out the recent articles. We had some fun stuff with... Um, Eugene E. had a great March Madness run about which Star Wars book was the internet's favorite. And if you haven't followed along with that, you should go look at the results. It will surprise you. Uh, Devor, what have you been up to? Where can people find more to bother you about your opinions on things? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at a larger view pod. You can listen to a larger view of the force. You can also listen to Space Swifties, a Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast that I host with my wife, the one and only Meg Dowell. And of course, yeah, we're listen to have, me here. We're going to fight about that show at one of these days <laughs> because I listened to one of the episodes and I was like, what is happening between these people? There's wild stuff going on. This is the one you were doing uh, first dance songs Yes, for Star Wars weddings. And, uh, and you're hitting me with things. I never even heard of this song before. And I thought I was a fan. Clearly, I have been outclassed. Sorry to interrupt your, your plugging. <laughs> no, that was it. That was my entire plugging. Uh, amazing. Space Swifties, you should absolutely listen to because I've been listening to them and just being like blown away by the fact that they, these guys have instant recall of the most obscure things and it's just very impressive. 
You can follow me on Twitter at the Drew Brett. You can follow the show at Clashing Sabers on all the things. Um, all the shows will be posted there, so you can find us. And um, I think that's about it. Do we have any last-minute notifications or things you want to make sure get mentioned for posterity's sake? I don't think so. What about you? No? Well, I think the only thing left to do is leave them with the, uh, the old classic. So, batch eight. Hi, home. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?